Yeah. Welcome to Pass the Outlet. I am your host, Chris Patrick, along with me, my wingman, Michael Benjamin, and we are launching this new podcast for you today. Mike, tell them what it's all about. What's up, Chris? Hey, I'm super excited to get this one started. We've been talking about Pass the Outlet for a while. Um, really just want to dive into basketball, what we've been through, you know, our our lifestyle, which is surrounded by it and whatnot. But I'm super excited to get this one off the ground. But Chris, to start, I'm getting feedback, man. Okay, let me, yeah, it's because I'm sharing my screen still. Let me stop that. And that should solve all that problems. Apologies to anyone on the other end who might have also been experiencing that. Just when we think we're out of the weeds with making these amateur mistakes, here we are. But at least we're we're almost on time. We're only a couple minutes late. But uh, getting back on track, um, exactly like what Mike said, um, they, there's a popular saying in the basketball community, ball is life. I think Mike and I both know that, and we'll talk moving forward. Um, and it's just a lot of things. You know, we said it's a lifestyle. Uh, we played of the game at many levels and and i'm excited to talk about it mike presented me with this idea and i i just loved it and we we've just ran with it and finally getting it off the ground so let's get into it yeah i mean there's just so much to talk about obviously valley sports plug is a valley brand for arizona um we're still going to talk about anything suns mercury you know what's going on with the pac-12 with the sun devils and the wildcats but we want to dive into different things like youth sports and coaching, um, you know, open runs, you know, playing as older adults, I guess you can say. Um, different experiences that we've had, you know, with the Suns, especially myself uh, as a former employee with them. There's just so much to talk about. And I'm super excited to bring on some of our friends and colleagues that have similar, you know, experiences and share those with everybody who really loves ball. So I'm ready to go, Chris. Do it. Let's do it. Yeah, and just to expand on this and basically done, um, we everyone, all these perspective ideas to kind of see where this goes and see how much – there's just so much basketball to talk about, see who we can get on, get their perspective, because we all see something and uh, have some, some ideas lined up already. Uh, we're going to look at some plays maybe, look at some posts – uh, and and all levels. We're talking from from the youth sports level all the way to the professional. We're gonna try and cover it all. So thank you for joining us, or if you're listening back um, on the podcast or on YouTube. Um, but yeah, let's let's do it first. In this first uh, maiden voyage episode, we do kind of want to just uh, introduce ourselves and kind of what our journey in basketball has been, what our experience and perspective is, and uh, kind of kind of let it all out when we when we were talking about this for doing show prep and yesterday it was crazy kind of starting to actually put it on paper and see like wow this is when you really think about all the aspects like i was saying your your fandom when you were playing um, as a kid and now as an adult at a high, at the high school level and also coaching when we did youth sports for that time period um and i'd love to get back into youth sports definitely we'll talk about that but uh mike we were undecided even going into the show but i think uh I think we should uh, start with your journey today, and uh, you have a lot, a lot on your resume that I'm excited. I know a lot about, and I'm excited to to dive in and share with everyone. So, 
let's go back. Let's go way back um, to a young Michael Benjamin when he was just a little baby. Was basketball the first sport you ever played or was there something else? No, it was not. Like most kids, soccer was my first ever experience for organized sports. I definitely wasn't the best. One of my first uh, memories that I have from playing soccer was probably around six or seven years old. And our team probably lost 15 to two. And I had a buddy on the team with me who we were just trying to kick it from the center over and try and go. And then we just continuously get it stolen from us. <laughs> and that was kind of my eye-opening moment where I said, you know what, maybe this isn't the sport for me. And I remember as a young kid, like most, you know, young active children being on the playgrounds in elementary school, playing basketball on those really short, like eight foot hoops, uh, just trying to do crazy in between the legs, layups and really deep shots and started to grow love from that. And then I probably played in my first league ever when I was around nine or 10 years old. And immediately I fell in love with the game. The, the team aspect, really focusing on skills. And I'll never forget the first basket that I made, which is probably about a 12 foot jumper. And I don't think I went crazy and jumped around too much, but I definitely remember the feeling inside about how excited I was about finally making a basket after playing for a while. But it definitely was a quick, you know, feeling of, something that I knew was going to be a part of my life for a very long time. Yeah. I, I, I think when we start diving into my story, there's a lot of those early similar parallels. I'm not going to spoil too much, but a lot of kids and me included started in that youth soccer. It's great for the young kids to get out there, get their feet wet in a team sport. Um, but then, yeah, it's once you get a taste of basketball, it's easy to fall in love. So once you fell in love and, and kind of were all in on it, what was your like who did you look up to the most at a young who do you remember at i'm i'm gonna rewind it a bit when you were young as early as you can remember who was the first uh person you looked up to as a basketball player or basketball influence well i grew up in the valley so the phoenix suns were always on in my household my dad had season tickets with a good buddy of him and they've still had season tickets for my goodness going back to the coliseum days so we're getting close to 35 plus years and now I've transitioned to taking over those tickets with my dad. So I definitely have early remembrances of being a very big fan of Dan Marley and Kevin Johnson, you know, guys who had really vested interest in the Valley, like Tom Chambers. But I think my number one main uh, person who I looked up to because I met him at an early age was Connie Hawkins. Uh, he was one of the first players from, I believe, the ABA to transition to the NBA um, when they did their merger back in the 70s. And he was a crazy athlete, could do many things on both sides of the ball. But I think the one thing that really took it over for me was how incredible of a person he was. He was always at Suns events. He was always willing to sign autographs, take pictures, and have a conversation, even with a little kid like myself who didn't get to see him play live, but 
as I started getting older, I started investing a little bit more time in watching him. Now, there's plenty of other people as I was growing up that had influence over me, and I'm sure we'll talk about it coming up here soon. But mm -hmm. Connie Hawkins was the guy for me at an early age, and it's the reason why my favorite number is 42. Awesome. Yeah, no, and uh, if anyone saw in that uh, trailer, if you want, if you could call that, or reel Mike made, uh, freaking awesome. I loved it. You can see he's wearing, I think, I'm almost positive at the finals game, you're wearing your Connie Hawkins shirt, right? The With the 42? Absolutely. You if, were, I had a jersey of, if I had a jersey of him, I'd probably wear it to every Suns game. But I don't he was just that. an he was just an incredible individual. So anytime I can rep it out there and put it in, you know, wear that shirt, I'm always for it. They had a, you know, um, he's in the ring of honor for the Suns, and they've had a couple of kind of celebration nights about him where they've given out bobbleheads, and that was one of those nights where they gave out those bobbleheads and had kind of special commemorative shirts that you could buy. So it was a no brainer for me. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, Mike, um, can you, if you're comfortable, are you comfortable telling everyone how tall you are? Uh, yeah, I'm six foot seven. So I'd say nice. I'm on the taller side than most. Most would say that. Yes. I, it's funny. Cause I'm like basically six foot, um, almost six one in the right pair of shoes, but I don't consider myself too tall because on the basketball court, I'm still a, a small guy. I'm a guard, but out in public in the general population, people will tell me I'm tall, but I'm like, no, like Mike, Mike is tall. And like, I guess maybe some people would, I don't know what it, what the range of tall is, but that's, that's neither here nor there. But anyway, my point in asking you that and sharing that is that you weren't always six foot seven, especially when you first started your basketball journey, right? Oh, absolutely. So what was nope. your, what was, no, no. What, well, what was your game like when you first started out playing basketball and like about how, how tall were you compared to other kids your same age? You know, I definitely went through a, a range of sizes I uh, thinking of thinking back on it the other day when I started playing in middle school, I was primarily kind of a corner specialist shooter. So I would play small forward two power forward, not as much. I normally stuck to the outside in the corner. My ball handling skills were not where they moved to be. Um, and that was because, you know, when you join a school team, your coach starts to build you into a certain spot right so i was a pretty decent shooter at that young age and corner threes were necessary to space the floor so that's where i started and then when i went to high school and i played my uh sophomore year on jv i was one of the shortest kids on the team now at the time i was probably five nine maybe five ten but it forced me into playing at the point guard position. So when we would have practice and all of our drills, I was always running with the guards and the point guards and it forced me to work on my ball handling and make it a priority in my game. Now between my sophomore and junior year, I had a growth spurt and I came back the next year and I was six, four, but that entire summer and all the work that I had been doing, I was able to transition the guard game into being a little bit bigger. And at that time, when you're younger, you're not as big. I was a little bit more lanky, especially because I had stretched. But it started to give me really a boost of confidence knowing that I had those ball handling skills to go with the size that I was growing into. So when I'd play at school and go and runs, 
it was a different style to see a little bit bigger of a guy who probably should at the high school time, you know, there's not that many guys, especially when I was growing up, you know, our, our center was always around six, six. So I probably could have been playing power forward center position, but I Mm -hmm. had transitioned to those, um, you know, transition to a bigger body with a guard skill. Now, as I got older and continued to grow in the game, playing four or five times a week, really, really focusing on attacking the basket, pull up, pull up off the dribble, still within my guard work, and with the speed I had because I was um, smaller, it all stopped in 2015 when I almost broke my ankle. I went up for a block shot and came down on top of another player's foot and tore some ligaments um pretty small but it definitely was the first time i ever had any kind of injury to that extent and it took a very long time for me to come back and i'm sorry when was was that i was around 2015 2016 i believe okay so yeah okay so you're you're older you're out i'm older yeah gotcha gotcha okay yeah yeah this is still you know i love the game so much i'm i'm gonna play and i want to play until my body doesn't let me anymore of course but at that time after that injury i you know wasn't able to really work out as much as i i used to i couldn't play consistently so i put on weight and i had finished kind of growing probably right around 22 23 and being six seven and now a bigger body made me change my game to start focusing more on the inside game so and i'm sure chris can attest i still have spurts where you could see me handling the ball but i don't have the speed that i used to so i started to transition into playing inside and it's definitely become a passion of mine recently because playing the big man's game not only does it come with finesse but it also comes with strength i love to bully people down low even though mike howard would probably say i'm too nice sometimes but it's it's been you a are. really exciting it's uh, it's been a really exciting ride in my basketball journey to see where i've come and the ebbs and flows within my game but overall how it's transitioned into the player that i am today yeah and I've seen that even in the in like I've came in about halfway through that journey. And in, since the time I've known you almost I think we're going on 10 years now. I read about that, uh, maybe a little over, actually. But basically, yeah, we kicked it. Me and Mike hit it off right away. We have the same music taste, sports taste, uh, just life outlook, just every level we connect. And it was easy. So that translates as, you know, Hoopers know like that off the court energy translates on the court as well. And He's never shy to to share how he's feeling or if I make a mistake. I was we were out there Sunday runs. I I uh I thought he had plenty of space to fill the lane and I was kind of hasty with a pass inside and he kind of was like, "Chris, what what the f are you doing?" And uh he's not afraid to say that and I'm not afraid to tell him how I'm feeling, but at the end of the day we're he's still my boy and uh it helps us both get better. But getting back to my point, I've seen that growth in you Mike and and it's been awesome because you do still have that guard skill set and you have a good handle um, and a good and, and that comes also with your good length that you've been able to keep that good handle. It frustrates a lot of guards that try to step up on you because they can't they can't poke it out like they can with a guy closer to their size. But 
what I wanted to ask you is, do you feel like, or I guess maybe you, I I know, I kind of know the answer to this question, but what kind of disrespect do you get? Or do you feel like you get disrespect out there and pick up or any type of run you do now as an adult where people want to paint you in a box as a big guy and don't respect you so much on the outside? It definitely takes some time as being a bigger bodied guy and one of the taller guys on the floor when wherever you go for runs, especially if it's your first time and you've never played with people, right? You see somebody who might be of smaller stature, automatically you think, okay, they can probably handle the ball. They're a little bit faster. They're going to be a guard type, which can be changed. I mean, you know, we play with a guy, his name is James, who probably one of the strongest guys that I've ever went up against in the paint. And he's maybe 5'8", if that, 5'9". And he's never shy to step out. And he's the first one to say, Mike, I'm guarding Mike. And I've, I kind of have that same mentality. I mean, I'm not, I'm a little, I'm taller than James, but I will, I mean, I don't even like when James guards me, but no, go ahead, Mike, go ahead. Yeah. So it takes, it takes time, takes a couple of games, especially with your playing with new people. And that's part of basketball. And that's why I love it too. Everybody has a different type of skill set, and it's all on you to assert yourself and show what you can do on the floor. So when people think that, okay, he's the biggest guy out here, he's primarily only going to be down low, I make it part of my game because it is now, and I know that I can be very successful playing down low, but it's not going to stop me from you know, pulling out into my outside game and working all the different aspects uh, of my game onto the floor to show them what I'm made of. So... It's definitely, um, it's always a growing period whenever you're playing with new people. But that's why I love, you know, our runs that we do on Sundays now. We have a core group of guys who have been playing together for, oh my goodness, maybe a year and a half, almost two years now. But everybody has played with each other. So there's an unselfish nature out there. Everybody pretty much trusts each other. And it's just some of the best basketball that you can play because everybody works together to become better and have a good time at the end of the day. That's that's what I'm out there for, right? Not mm-hmm. only to get a good workout in, but to continue to get better as I can. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm 100% with you. It's a great group of guys out there. The runs are always good and it can get a little chippy. But at the end of the day, it's all guys out there just trying to get better, trying to have a good time, uh, let off a little steam. And I'm really grateful that uh, I got in on this and you invited me to join in. And uh, it's we even created a basic, pretty much started our adult league team that we did the last season from from guys out there. Um, but kind of moving on to, to dive in more about you, Mike, uh, I think you had mentioned it early on. Uh, you were a ball boy for the Suns. Oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. How would you stumble upon that? Yeah, I'm sure we'll have kind of a dedicated podcast where I can tell plenty of stories. So I don't want to give all, I don't want to give up all the uh, tidbits of information that I had, but um, my dad was a season ticket holder has loved the Suns forever. And I think one time he just stumbled upon on suns.com that they were having interviews for ball boy positions. It was something that I never thought about as a kid. Obviously, if you're at the Suns games, you see those guys who will go out there with the towels or the big mop after free throws, but it's such a secondary thing. It was not ever on my radar. And my dad said, Hey, they have these ball boy positions. 
we went to a lot of games at that time anyways. So I was always going to be down there. And he said, do you want to go and try? And I was like, are you kidding me? Absolutely. So I went, interviewed, and it was right in that entrance pavilion of the Sun Stadium. Now it's like the big kind of club area right when you get in. Mm -hmm. But probably, I don't know, 80 to 90 other kids that were in there interviewing. And I got at the position. And I was thinking that it was a like a volunteer gig. I thought I was just going to be out there <laughs> rebounding for the Suns. Like, I'll do this for free. For Why free. Not? Absolutely. Are you kidding me? What kind? Yeah. Of, that's that's an experience that you really can't pass up to be on the floor with professionals in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So when they told me that I was going to get paid, it was even more of a cherry on Better. top. Yeah. Now this was back in my first season that I worked was two thousand four, two thousand five. And minimum wage was what we got. And back in the day, minimum wage was like, I think, $5, $5.50 an hour. Yeah, sounds about right. But I'm a kid. I was 14 years old. It was my first job ever. And I, I don't think you could write a better story than your first job to be a ball boy for the Phoenix Suns. And to put it on top of that, the cherry on top, it was the first year when Steve Nash came back to the Valley after he had left left Dallas and got his big contract with us. And we had some exciting young core players like Amari Stoudemire, Sean Marion, Joe Johnson, who we had got from the Boston Celtics. And we also brought in Quinton Richardson. And that year we won 62 games, which at the time tied the franchise record. So every time I went to work, we won. And it was like, it was one of the, best times you could ever have because I was seeing championship level basketball at such a young age. Now I'm sure, I think we had some other questions in regards to like some, one of my favorite memories and what, whatnot, but I, I'd like to dive into that right now. Go for it. There's so many things that I saw on that floor from conversations with guys like Josh Smith rebounding for LeBron James really having a good conversation with a guy Luke Widnauer who was on who was a guard for the Seattle Supersonics but my all-time favorite memory that I'll cherish to the day I die because it helped create the player that I am today was watching Tracy McGrady play while being on the floor and I can't tell you how much I learned that one game watching him. Now, back in the day, Houston, he played with Houston, so they would come twice a year, and I always tried to make sure that I'd be on the floor when he was there because his footwork was unmatched. The way that he was a tactician on the floor, creating space, coming off screens, and really being a very, very smart offensive player made me want to be more of a student of the game. Because I understood that, yeah, skill is involved, but at the same time, being smart and being a surgeon on the floor can make you the best that you want to be. And in Tracy McGrady's case, a Hall of Famer. So I'll never forget that. And I definitely have plenty of other stories. There's the infamous Raja Bell story. Oh, uh, man. We, that's that's what I'm excited to do in the, with this whole thing is like I know we can't we we could do it all today but we have to do 
everything cover exactly. it more broadly. So I'm sure we'll, we'll have a podcast. We'll have a podcast where where we can dive exactly just really deep dive into my ball boy days. But you know, great memories and you know, I I still have some friends nowadays who are ball boys. So it's really cool to see the torch being passed, I guess you could say. And hopefully we can get some of those guys on too to talk about mm-hmm. then and now and the differences that you see in the ball boy game. Because uh, I won't lie, what they do now, they're just on the floor the whole time. I had to put out flyers <laughs> through the entire arena. In so you're saying they have it easier seat. now. I had to blow up those freaking stupid ass bangers that people would have behind the free throws. We had to go and like physically blow them up and then pass them out to people. So there's just a lot of different things back in the day. And they've definitely tightened up game operations over there as the years have gone on. Right. The the procedural stuff will change over time. Um, I I love that story about T-Mac. That's another guy when we, when I start talking about myself is, is the guy that I really looked up to as a young player and um that that's that's and that, so piggybacking off of that i should say with seeing t-mac and you were saying kind of i think you were kind of saying that he he showing seeing how he works how he works harder and how he plays the game and approaches the game At, w- was that the moment or what when did you realize that there are so many different levels to basketball as to Sorry for swearing for for anyone out there, but there are levels to this shit. When did you realize that with basketball? That definitely was an eye-opening moment because I didn't watch basketball that way. I just kind of watched it from, hey, okay, who's shooting threes or who's playing big? And at that time, you know, it was still an inside-out game, but the Suns of 2004 started to change the way that we play nowadays, especially in uh, the NBA with their seven seconds or less and their extending of the floor and shooting threes at a very high clip. But to finally fine tune the way that I watch in regards to not just, okay, is he open, shoot the ball, but how does he get open? How does he create for his other teammates? Is he a selfish player? Is he somebody who shows his leadership on the floor, communicating with people and getting him into the the right positions? That was probably the big eye-opening experience for me. Because I had started to grow as well, so I was starting to see that within my own game, where when I was a young player, I was very timid. I wasn't the tallest guy. I didn't trust in my game. And it took me years and years to really get the confidence in myself that I needed that I started to see in these professionals. And it's crazy to think that just watching, uh, you know, people at their craft who perform at the highest level can really make an impact and change the way that you work. And that was definitely that time for me. And it also helped that Steve Nash was going into an MVP year. Of course, one of the the best point guard in the league um, going into, you know, that stretch. He had back to back MVPs. The Suns made pushes in the playoffs. So I was just around great basketball at all times. And to be on the floor was even more of an exciting experience for me, not just because I was around these world renowned athletes, 
but I was able to see the craft that I was starting to really, really love at the highest level. I bet that's every young Hooper's dream is to be courtside at the ball boy. Cause we were all at one point in our driveway shooting around, envisioning ourselves being the starting whatever for the Phoenix suns. And I mean, at least that's how it was for me, but also within that, like I was saying, any, any boy wants to be, have that perspective, be on the court, be in that position. Like we were saying, the, the levels and all of this within basketball to kind of maybe do a hard transition. Do you like the college game or follow the college game? Uh, to be honest with you, Chris, I don't really follow the college game as much. Mm -mm. And it's probably a detriment to myself. I'm just more of a fan of the way that the NBA spacing is. Um, and it gives the best athletes abilities to create and really showcase, you know, their skills at a different, you know, at a different level than can happen in the college game. I absolutely have respect for the college game. I think the college game is more team oriented. It's a lot more structured. There's a lot more sets with movement. Um, and it's just a tighter game. The one thing that sometimes I struggle with is the inconsistency of the players because they're all young, right? They're all 18 to, you know, there's some guys who might be 50 or seniors who red shirt. So they might be 23, 24, but that's far and few between, especially nowadays with the way that guys are one and done. The best players right. are just coming and going. And now we're starting to see the transition of guys going overseas instead of going to college to get their one year of eligibility out and then come back for the NBA draft. So uh, I could tell you, I'll always watch March Madness when it comes around, but it's very frustrating and it's very tough sometimes because it just seems like it's brick city out there. And I know you can attest to that. I think we were oh, talking yeah. about it, you know, this past March this Madness last when we were watching rough. some of the games. And it's still exciting, right? Games go down to the wire. There's, you know, really, really tight matchups when it comes down to that. But I'd say that's probably the only time I'm really paying attention. And it's going to be tough now, too, with what's going on here in Arizona and on the West Coast with the Pac-12 and the dissolving of some teams. I don't know where others are going, if the conference is eventually going to be split. So it's going to be tough sledding for the college game, especially those teams that are still in the Pac-12 trying to gain their footing on a national level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very it's very interesting. And I actually, um, if he, I don't know if he's watching, but Ben Miller uh, reached out and we were chatting the other day and he has so much knowledge on, on col the college scene. Uh, basketball and football mostly but ASU in particular he's a graduate of there lived on campus lived near campus his entire time there and just has a real good and still keeps up with it and so I'd, I'm gonna gonna schedule a time when we can talk to him um, it might be over on the heat check podcast just so we can talk uh, football too but uh, you know just quick plug right here about 30 minutes in you know guys hit those social medias they're in the description below Mike has them ready to go because I don't I, my brain doesn't work like that. I guess I don't have the the socials ready to go. But we're gonna be having guests on. We're gonna have them on this podcast, past the outlet. We're gonna have them on the Heat Check podcast live probably because it's hard. 
because that's when we can really do people from all over the country and the or, yeah all over the country i don't think we're going to go uh, international just yet but really really excited for for what, what we got going on here and we just we're not trying to i don't think we're trying to bite off more than we can chew we tried to launch uh the the valley sports plug back in 2019 and really just i think we bit off a lot more than we could chew and then we were ready for but we're we're back we're recharged we got the heat check podcast once once a month we're about to get that recording out here in the next couple weeks we're gonna be doing the heat check podcast live uh probably once a week um every other week at the very least and uh once a month probably see a round table from us where we have all the guys um, that you love, uh, Delmo Sons, Matt, Ian, uh, anyone who wants to come on and uh, and kind of hash it all out with us. And, and we're going to talk everything Valley Sports. But right here on Pass the Outlet, we're talking about basketball. And in particular, we're breaking down Michael Benjamin's journey in basketball. Um, so far, uh, we kind of started out with his kind of broad broad overview journey from youth sports through the high school level and now on as an adult um, playing and staying with it. We've both um off the record or if you will expressed an interest to play for as long as our bodies will physically allow us to and i think actually mike even said that probably 15 20 minutes ago but within that mike i wanted to dive a little bit into a different aspect of of your basketball journey and that is uh when when did you start coaching and and how how did that come to be yeah so before what i'm doing now I used to work for the YMCA as a sports director. Uh, when I came back from college, I did work there part-time, basically refing rec games. And I, at the time, I did basketball, volleyball, flag football, soccer, t-ball, you name it, uh, just because I love sports and it was something that I wanted to be involved in. And after years of, you know, different type of work and um, – you know, where life took me, I guess, I found myself back at the Y in late 2016. And I was approached by um, Garrett, who is one of the executive directors, I think he might be a vice president now with the YMCA, about possibly taking on a role at the Chandler Gilbert YMCA as a sports director. And it was something that at the time, I just couldn't pass up. My love for sports and Helping kids was right at the top of my list. So it was it was an easy decision. And right when I stepped in, I knew that I was ready to coach and be more of a leader for the youth in the community than I ever really had been. Because it took some years of growth on my own, right? We're, we all have our own journeys. Um, some take longer than others. But at that time, I knew that I was ready to give back and coaching was a perfect aspect to do that. So I remember putting teams together as a sports director, you know, when you're putting the leagues together, especially for the Y, all of your coaches are volunteers. So I had reached out to parents, family members, friends, whatnot, filled all these teams. And as we got down to the end of putting everything together there was one team left a high school basketball team of free agents that needed a coach and i looked at chris and i said chris are you ready to do this with me and he said i think so we'll Maybe. figure it out we'll <laughs> figure it out as we go along but immediately fell in love with it 
it's so gratifying to be able to spread the, your own knowledge to others, especially those who are invested and want to listen. You know, kids are tough at any age, especially at that high school level. They have a lot of other things on their mind. Basketball, especially at the Y, is probably the last thing that they really care about. Yeah, they're there because they want to do it and have fun and they like basketball, but there's probably, you know, they're not as invested as you and I would be in regards to the game. And it takes time to really get that love. But it was really a quick fall. I fell in love with it immediately. That first season, I don't think we were the greatest, but we made a, a, a run in the playoffs and ended up playing in the Valleywide Championship games, which at the time were on the Phoenix Suns basketball court because the YMCA has a partnership with the Suns and they have the Junior Suns. Uh, and that was kind of, you know, one of the special things that can happen with a competitive league where you go through evaluation games, um, have a regular season, and then a single elimination tournament. And then if you win that tournament, you get to play in the Valleywide Championship game against the winner of the West Side teams because we coached out here in the East Valley. And we made a push. We really fought hard in that game. Our boy Brooke had an opportunity at the last second missed the floater but i knew at that point i was in i i had i had caught the itch and it's something that i've been very passionate about over the past few years even as i've left the y as a sports director uh, i still do help out in capacities i go and ref the super little kid games like the preschoolers and the up to fifth and sixth grade i still help out with and finally, after getting some footing within my new job and my work that I do now, I've finally been able to get back out there and coach again. And it's, I feels back, I feel back at home. I feel like something is really finally, I, I was missing a piece of that after COVID, you know, mm -hmm. and, and our season was cut short. Well, I guess it didn't even start, but, and, you know, Chris, you experienced pretty much all of this with me for the first couple of years of us right. coaching. And the plenty of conversations that we had about strategy, about where to put certain kids, how to, you know, get the best out of them and how to really reach them and, and make sure that they're invested. Mm -hmm. It's it's definitely one of the more gratifying parts about that as well, because not every person is the same. Everybody has different type of personalities and especially for kids, they're growing and trying to figure out what kind of person they're they are now and who they want to be so you have to talk to people different ways you can't coach everyone the same way in order to be successful and it's something that as coaches and i'm sure plenty of other people who have coached before can attest to it's i wouldn't say it's a constant struggle but it's something that you're continuously working on and it's why i love it so much Mm -hmm. And I just I got to say, I think it was a unique challenge for us, too, because often with especially teams like that at that age, high school and um, seventh and eighth grade, they're a group of buddies that played together or it's a team that's been playing together for a while versus like Mike said, 
um you know no no not to diss on them too bad or, or to knock them i love them but they were kind of a ragtag group of agents just a bunch of kids who individually went down to the ymca and said i want to play basketball i need a team and um so we were we were the ragtag free agent team and to make it that i agree like i had that same feeling like we made it down had that disappointing um loss in the finals but to make it down there and just have that run have feel that excitement from the other other perspective i i, I have so many questions that could stem from this and and don't want to get caught up in it too much because i'm sure again i'm sure we'll talk about it later on down the line but how has coaching changed your perspective on how you approach the game as a player and just how you look at it overall as like a broad perspective? As far as a player goes, I'd say it definitely made me more of a vocal leader. When you're coaching from the sidelines, the only way that you can make any kind of impact on the game is by talking to your players through the game, you know, calling timeouts, telling them about what you're seeing on the floor. But as you become a player, it really helped me transition to, you know, helping guys, putting them into the correct position, not second guessing myself on the floor when maybe I saw something right then. I knew the way that I see it, and I'm not afraid to tell a teammate who might be reeling a little bit where they should go, you know, on, on different aspects, spacing the floor uh defensives how to attack a certain player and whatnot so that has definitely helped me over the past couple of years since i was coaching it's it's a different it's a different animal definitely and it makes you see things at a wider aspect right sometimes coaching is tough because you think to yourself wow i saw this how did this kid not see this as well but it helps when you still play because you're on the floor and you can understand how there's limitations to not only where you can see, but what you can feel when the when the game action is going on and, and how you space the floor and have guys cutting behind you that you didn't even know, you know, without communication from other teammates and whatnot. So it's mm -hmm. definitely helped me transition into being a better teammate, I would say. I, I could see that 100%. And just to expand expand on exactly what you were just saying, I think just to set it up, uh, most most people who coach basketball, or I would hope almost all people who coach basketball played at some point in time, especially anyone who's going to be successful. So they know the player perspective already and have most likely been coached before. So of course, a coach knows that we don't see the player's perspective and we understand they see things we don't and they're going to get frustrated if we if we if we see something from our perspective that looks one way and we pull them for it but they feel it's it's this or that so like you said navigating that and kind of i think i agree understanding like it kind of does definitely change how you see it and, and, and approach it all um and in with that i of course you kind of get to see firsthand what the kind of trend is with basketball because it, it's I feel like especially with as young as the sport is it's it's been evolving especially in the last 20 30 years and and within that I want to ask you from the time you were playing as a kid to playing now as an adult and coaching these kids how have you seen the game evolve from a from a team perspective it's changed a lot but it, it it's changed the way that the NBA game has changed right Professional basketball has always been about um, putting on a show, 
being uh, seeing the best athletes out there and seeing guys do things that you never thought could be done. But it's changed since, you know, even as close as the 90s, it's changed from then till now where primarily the game was around the big man dumping, dumping the ball down in and then running action off of them and having them be your primary, you know, scorer to now teams shoot 60 plus three pointers a game without batting an eye, because that's the best percentage to score the most points is to shoot three pointers. And it's trickled down into youth sports, right? The flashy dribble in and outs, making guys fall down, pull back 30 footers has infiltrated um, basketball culture, which is understandable because it's what is in front of us. But with that being said, it has kind of cut back a little bit on the team aspect and the way that each player, if you really work within a great system, does something great and can complement each other where other guys might not be the best at one skill set and whatnot. And it's hard to get some of these kids to invest in that, you know, especially at a younger age. If a kid is already 6'3 and he's 12 years old, I want to start building a foundation for a big man game. Well, does that kid really want to do it because he sees Steph Curry pulling up two feet after he crosses the three-point line? Or he sees craziness on 2K and whatnot? So that's always been kind of a struggle where we found ourselves in is everybody wants to be the ball handler. Everybody wants to be the guy. And everybody wants to be the superstar. Where it's just not the case when it comes down to the team game. You have to have guys really fill into their role, accept their role, and work to be better at their role. Mm-hmm. And it's tough in youth sports because, like I said, everybody wants to be the, the the guy to show off to their friends. So it really takes time. It takes effort. And what we saw is it takes years. It takes years of working with a group to really find your niche, find your mm-hmm. core guys, and start building them into their successful patterns, which is one of the reasons our last season that we had, you know, when we started at Chandler in 2017, middle of 2017, and went over to uh, when I transitioned from Chandler to Tempe, and we took a couple of those core guys over with us and then built our team going into their senior year, and we really had a group. I remember looking at you, Chris, after our first practice and saying, wow, did it take time? But this is what we were always hoping for, right? And then COVID struck and it killed that season. And all of those kids graduated and couldn't play any longer, which was just a dagger in our heart. Because then yeah. we had to come back and restart again. But, you know, that's... That's also the beauty of it, right? Is to really get those kids invested and buy in to a system, and and mm-hmm. fill their role. Yeah, and that's that's the hardest thing, like to get them to buy into that. I and I I wanted to expand on what you were saying earlier. Of course, I think there's always been some level of media, and especially like you said, the NBA game has a heavy influence on how the game progresses and how people play the game because you watch 
even back in in the 80s and 90s everyone wanted to be like mike you watch him play and everyone wanted to do mike's moves and that obviously had a strong influence on a lot of players that played in the 90s and early 2000s and then kobe basically became a clone of michael and the next generation is just going to keep doing it better than the last and that's to be expected and that's one thing that i do love about basketball especially is because you have these rules that haven't really changed that much in um you know 100 years almost other than a few you know lines three-point lines this and that but for the most part especially in the last 50 60 years it's the same rules but there's obviously technology what we know about strength training and um all these advanced statistics with computers and um now the three-point shot is a lot more uh you way more utilized than it ever was but getting more back to the point with these these kids see all that and i think with the way you have all these social medias like we we're gonna we plug all our social medias we we try and and any company any podcast they try and spread their reach as far as they can and that's because everyone's on social media these kids see nba clips on tiktok they see their 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 ball is life and all these other play people not even in the nba these days but doing cool stuff that they want to emulate i even you know growing up out there went wanted to be like the next steve nash you know i was trying to do behind the back passes and especially i know you know that when we first started playing that was my signature thing was unnecessary behind the back passes um i don't do it anymore really i don't think in the past i a couple i'll slip in there every once and again but i don't really do it too much anymore but that's besides the fact um more to the point i think these kids these days try and run before they can walk um they don't get the fundamentals down to where they want to start jacking up three pointers and it's almost i like you were saying or even earlier i think we're almost starting to see that in the college game where they're pulling up from three they even in college they've pulled the three-point line back in our lifetime um it used to be right up at the high school level then a little bit back and i think it's even further back again um could be wrong but either way in any case they're taking the long shots they're taking the threes they're not people will say the college game has never changed and maybe that's true to some extent with the defensive schemes um playing a lot more zone with the offensive sets and this and that but at the end of the day, you do see it where more sh- more shots are being thrown up, more three-pointers. And it's just real. I think like going back to just to wrap it all up, I think kids are trying to run before they can walk uh, and having them buy in and do those fundamental things is, is tough. And and we've really seen that. And throughout the journey um, was we, we you mentioned going to the championship game in the first season um last thing i wanted to ask you about right now in coaching because we'll we'll talk more about it but what was probably maybe your favorite memory or or the most memorable moment of your coaching career so far um there's two that i have right off the top of my head uh, i think we were about a year in and we were coaching a summer team and summer is always tough because families are traveling kids are doing camps and it's just tougher to really have people there because you know no fault to their own they're trying to enjoy their summer and their time off from school of course and we had a group i think we started maybe with eight or nine if that and then one of them didn't show then another came for like a game or two then left and we ended up only having six guys and that might have been the best team that we ever had because at that point it's them right it's all on them there's Mm -hmm. no subs there's no time to you know really catch a breather there's no other guy who can come in to take care of one specific guy who might be a little bit bigger or whatnot 
it was everybody had to fight and play within their role. And that was our my favorite, favorite summer or our favorite team that we ever coached. Because we had guys like Aaron stepping up into roles that, you know, at the beginning when he started playing with us, uh, he was a little bit limited, but he started to gain confidence as the seasons went along. And he played perfectly within his role. He took his shots when he mm-hmm. needed to. He played aggressive defense. He was active. He went after the ball. He was a rebounding machine. And then our other guys took the next step that we needed. Like Brooke and Bryce started to get more aggressive, making smarter plays. Jared was really key handling the ball, getting the team set up, and getting action moving and talking with each other on the floor. So that was my – you know, favorite overall memory of a season that we had. And we ended up winning that Valley wide championship on the sun's floor. So that was even more special where we lost on the practice floor and then we won on the main floor. And then my other probably main moment that I'll remember is it was the season right after we came back from COVID, which was November of 2020. It was a brand new unit that we brought in. I had we had a couple guys come over from Awatuki to join us who had played with each other and then some other free agents that we had put together from Tempe. But they hit it off within the first two, three games and really, really found a camaraderie together. And we had a game at Tempe. You can find it on my pinned comment on my Twitter. Oh, okay. Where the game was tied. And the other team had a chance to take or, you know, go for the win. And they slow played it. Our guys played perfect defense, transition, made them take a tough outside shot. And our one guy got the ball off the backboard, took about two dribbles through the corner and heaved up an underhand three-quarter court shot that he made. Never seen it before. Absolutely crazy. And everybody went nuts. And of course, this is at the time where COVID's still kind of going along. So I'm over there wearing a mask. The kids aren't. But I just had to get in there and celebrate with them because it was so crazy. It was nothing like I had ever seen Should before. Not, yeah, I it 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 was it was stunning, right? It took the air, like nobody could believe that it just happened. You can even see in the video the kid on the other team is just in utter disbelief. At what he just saw, I, I think I share I share in some of those memories. I didn't realize that was November 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I and that you're right, that was our our last team, right? Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. That was the last time before you moved to uh, BF. What is it? BFN. BFE. BFE. BFN. BFN works. I think. I so I wanted to I wanted to bring this up before it becomes a controversy, like later on down the line, because uh, of course we are Valley Sports Plug. Um, I'm sorry to do this on past the outlet. This sounds like a heat check podcast topic, but just to get it out of the way, I do live in Santan Valley, which is Southeast of the Valley. I have come to grips with the fact that I don't live in the Valley. So I hope that everybody is okay with me still commenting on the Valley and being part of the Valley sports plug while not currently residing within the borders of what is naturally considered the, the, no, it still counts. It still counts. (laughs) I'll take it. I'll take it. I, hey, hope, I hope you forgive me. You could have a whole other conversations about the economy and where the growth of Arizona is going. So people have to move to <laughs> Santan Valley because of the prices of homes. But 
I'm not a financial advisor, so we're not going to get into that. But that's this part is of not the financial advice, exactly. Now, that's and absolutely I think, part of the valley. I think you give it you give it 20 years, the map is going to look a little bit different. And I'm campaigning for Queen Creek and Maricopa County to to bring in Santan Valley. Just bring us in. We don't want to be in Pinal County anymore. Nobody wants to. Just that's a whole nother topic we won't get into. But Mike, we're coming up uh, pretty close to the hour mark, and I know we had a couple other topics we wanted to hit. But I did just want to round this out a little bit. Of course, we only we barely scratched the surface with your wealth of basketball knowledge, your whole journey, everything you've experienced. But that's great because that means that these people watching right now and back on the replay, they're going to have to keep coming back so they can get the full scoop. And I also think that it's possible just I just in this stream conscious stream of thought I think we could possibly convince Bryce and Brooke to come on sometime and talk about their experience having us be their coaches and um, maybe even just talking about their their growth if we were beneficial to that or uh, if we were just uh, detrimental to that even. I don't know. I'd be, I'd be curious to know. But uh, last question I wanted to ask you, um, well, two, maybe two, maybe I can squeeze in two real quick, but one uh, specifically about you as a player do you have um because you do play in some adult leagues in here in the recent uh past and coming up here actually we're, we got another one starting together do you have like a day a game time or a game day routine a little bit nothing too like crazy like i'm not going in and having to you know put on my deodorant a certain amount of swipes before i put my jersey on or anything like that my my Game day routine is pretty much I get out there. I have my I have my pick of shoes that I'm going for that day, trying to put my fit together to look a little bit uh, a little bit nice out there on the floor, have some flair. And then as soon as I get out there, get my stuff on and I have to stretch. I'm at the point where if I don't stretch, I'm going to hurt myself. So uh Calf raises, leg pulls, whatever you name it. Get some leg swings in there as well before I step on the floor. That's my go-to, um, you know, ritual that I have every time I play now because I know I'm not that old, but we're getting up there. So That's gotta right. stay limber before I step on the floor. Definitely, I see you doing those stretches, and it's kind of it's actually I love it because it it reminds me like yeah I do need to do some stretches, which I honestly don't do enough, but um. But no, it's awesome. And I like that that quick answer there. So I can ask you one more. Who are you watching and liking right now in the NBA? What player do you like watching or, or would be your favorite right now? Um, and I do want to put, I think I want to put the, I want to put the caveat, not Suns player. What okay. not Suns player? Good. Because I don't want to be a homer and just say Devin Booker because. Yeah, I'll give you yeah, the out. If you can't pick a Suns I, player. Like, yeah, I, wa I watch him all the time. I love watching him. Right. But, we all love Book. Uh, You know, the new blood in the league has been really, really exciting. Uh, guys like John ja Morant, Luka Doncic, uh, Trey Young. I'm really a big fan of Trey Young. Um, but the one guy that I still really enjoy to watch his game, and not as much his team, more so his game, is Clay Thompson. Oh, okay. I still enjoy watching what he brings to the table. A journeyman guy at this point, one of the best shooters in NBA history, has gone through injury, you know, trials and tribulations of his own. So it's been very interesting to see him come back and the transition of the player that he is. You know, he still 
has some leaping ability and whatnot, but the tactician of the shooter that he is, is really something that I really enjoy because he's not a ball dominant player like Steph Curry. He's not really going for pull up off the dribbles. He's more of a curl off the screen, come through the lane, fight for positioning, and maybe one or two dribbles to get up to his shot. I think one of my favorite all-time moments of his was when he scored like 60 points off of like maybe like eight dribbles or something, 10 dribbles. I was just thinking of that. Yeah, incredible. Talk about somebody who is absolutely dialed in with his mechanics and the way that he gets to his spot and is just automatic the way that he fires off things. I remember when the Suns drafted Devin Booker, they had put together, or somebody on YouTube had put together a little clip package of his time at Kentucky, and they had used the Logic song. I think it was, um, oh my goodness, it was one of his old mixtape ones. You sent me that the day we drafted Devin Booker, right? And I sent it to you, and I said, the next Clay Thompson. Right. Yep. And that always stuck with me because obviously Devin Booker is not the next Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson is going to end up being a, a Hall of Famer, hopefully like Devin Booker, but they mm-hmm. are different players. But Definitely. you can see similarities within the way that they attack the ball and the way that they shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. They're absolutely all about mechanics, the way that they get their work in beforehand. So when it comes to game time, it's just so second nature when they get that ball and they're into their shooting pocket and let it fly right away. So I mm-hmm. still like to watch what clay does. And it's definitely a heartwarming story from where he came from his two ACL injuries. And now he's back and is a champion again. Do mm-hmm. I like that? The warriors won another championship. Hell no. Hell no. But I, you know, that's one thing I, I I'll respect greatness and mm-hmm. I'll give you the just desserts when I see it. So. 100%. He's still one of my favorite guys to watch. And the last thing I could say about that is I also like to watch him because my grandma at one time said that I looked like him. And I said, grandma, are you sure I look like him? And then Big Dawes TV on YouTube, I cannot tell you how often I have people tell me that I look like him. It has been over 200 times in my life that random ass people will come up to me and be like, hey, are you Big Dawes? And I'm like, No. I, I don't look like him, but Big Dawes is the guy who was able to smuggle himself onto the Warriors floor because he looks like Clay Thompson. So perfect. So it's let me, all a transition right there. Let me ask you then, Mike, what is the bar? How many subscribers would Valley Sports Plug have to get for you to try and get into Oracle Arena dressed as Clay Thompson? Uh, I don't look, I don't, I, I you, feel like I don't look that as good, as close as Big could, Dawes does to Clay Thompson. I don't know. How many will it take? It. Yeah. How many 100? would it take? Hundred thousand. Hundred thousand. All right. So if anyone, if if in in three to five years or whatever, we have no outlook for this. If at any point in history or time of Valley Sports Plug, if YouTube gets to a hundred thousand subscribers, Mike will go down to San Francisco and try and get into Oracle as Clay Thompson. Hopefully this happens while Clay Thompson is still on the Warriors because it would be awkward <laughs> if like it is in like five years and Clay is maybe like not with the Warriors, but I don't well, see hey, him playing for any other team, you know, honestly. Hey, maybe it's in the future where they're doing like a celebration night, like 10 years from the first championship, <laughs> and he's no longer playing. And then I he's can the assistant like coach. I can smuggle myself in first and be like, yeah, I'm here for uh, for ring ceremony night, the celebration. What, 
Was Big Doss wearing a Clay Thompson jersey? He was, was. Dude, so come on. Gonna... What player is wearing their own I know. jersey? I know. It's pretty bad. Like, the people who are outside uh, Oracle Arena being like, oh, it's Clay Thompson. He's just chopping it up with the people. It's like, nobody, the people. nobody does that. There's no athletes that go outside of their stadium and just kick it. That's they like, get if... into the parking garage and they are locked in. It's like, if you think it's too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. (laughs) Exactly. Damn. Well, Mike, I'm having so much fun. This is past the outlet. This is, uh, I don't want to label it as a podcast because we're going to do it in kind of this live stream format and then have it ready for you guys back on the replay. And I think we're going to even have it on Spotify, um, the audio only version. If you want to listen to it, it'll be on the Valley Sports plug um it's kind of it's, it's probably going to be under the heat check podcast but that is where all the valley sports plug uh um product is going to go for now as we grow and kind of figure find our footing and everything um but i'm really excited for this because uh we we got to know a little bit about mike today and on the next episode we'll we'll dive into my my journey a little bit but for this last you know 20 30 minutes or, or whatever we end up running uh we do have a few more spots for you and um segments if you will that I think we're going to try have reoccurring and uh, and see what you how you like it. And so let us know. Uh, drop a comment below. You can always be a part of the conversation on all of our podcasts, the Valley Sports Plug page on Facebook and Twitter. Um, always we want you to comment and then be a part of it because even here on the live streams, if you're dropping in, uh, uh, you know, tidbits, something we might not know. Uh, me and Mike were talking about this when we were at the red and white practice this weekend. We're just we're just a couple of fans, really, at the end of the day, when it comes to especially the Heat Check podcast. And even with this podcast, we're fans of the game. We're fans of basketball. I I know my I, can, I think I can speak for Mike in saying we just love basketball. Like I said earlier, ball is life. And, um, you know, sports is a big part of our, both of our lives overall. So I can't emphasize that enough. But uh, enough of the plugs, enough of the, the BS. Um, Mike, what are we call in this one? Um, it's good, similar. If you have you guys heard of the Monday morning quarterback for football, it's kind of going to be like that. Um, we're calling it the outlet point guard. Yeah, so this is going to be a segment where we break down the game a little bit um, from you know past, present, uh, college level, pro level, just diving into some plays. Uh, probably a specific play each time that caught our eye and just look to kind of dissect what we're seeing on the floor and maybe get the conversation going with some of you uh, other fans out there. Um, But I thought it was only right for our first one to be Mr. Devin Booker. So Chris, if you want to go ahead and pull that up. Perfect. Let's do it. This is a play from... January 16th, 2022. So it was this past season. Uh, I think the Suns ended up winning this game like 135 to 109. Uh, Obviously, the Pistons are still in rebuilding. They drafted Kate Cunningham first overall last year and have started to make some transitional pieces like bringing in Marvin Bagley, who selfishly, I hope, can turn it around for his career because I know he's an Arizona guy, went to Corona del Sol. Um, But so this one is just a simple little play from Devin Booker, which we've seen plenty of times, but we'll go ahead and play it and then uh, break it down here. So it's going to be real quick. Make sure you're paying attention. So they're pushing on the outlet. Here comes Book trying to slow the pace, waits for his big man, Bismarck Biombo, slows, dribbles, 
right at the top of the key, creates separation, and then hits your jumper. Let's run it back real quick. The choppy on your end, Chris? Yeah, it was a little choppy on my end. I don't know if that's going to be the same for the stream. Um, I will, in complete oh, candor, wow. I didn't watch this clip beforehand, so this is also going to be kind of my raw reaction to, to everything. Is this, uh, is this up on YouTube that you're pulling this up on? Yeah. There we go. So it's back to he's in the paint. We can kind of take it frame See, by frame. The problem, frame. That the might problem be the... with this is this is what happened last time when you tried to pull up that DA play. It was kind of doing the same thing. Yeah, I think um, for me personally, I'm. Oh. Well, it's showing the other end. That's going a little further. Bridges in the corner. Yeah, it's not it's not loading on my end, Chris. It's oh, just stuck pretty much. That's okay. That's that's fine. Um we'll work on that. We'll get that uh I mean You're you're a little choppy. Get that out of that's here. That's tough. All right. Yeah. That's okay though. So basically basically i don't know maybe post-production we could throw it in there or whatnot but this play was basically um devin booker bringing the ball up kind of in transition and slow playing it and my favorite part about it was the patience that he showed he waited for his bigs to you know fall down the fall down the floor with him uh was patient let bismarck biombo slip through and then really focused in on that slow dribble uh, to see if that double was coming over um, from the top of the key. And then he created that small separation without extending his elbow and trusted his jumper right there. So those are just such simple plays that a lot of people don't really like to think much of because what the NBA and sports center is all about your highlights, your crazy windmill jams or your crazy lobs, your really deep three pointers. But that's the part of the game that is so foundational for the success of teams, right? Having a guy who can trust his mid range jumper, having a guy who can feel where the defense is coming from, takes his time, slows it down, sees that 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 double up top isn't there so he understands and trusts his skills that he's going to be able to create that separation to pull that you know 18 foot jumper so hopefully it'll work in the future i don't yeah. know if we're going to be able to do it now chris because i feel like anytime we run video through this it's going to be choppy well, yeah yeah that could be and i think well because are you on your personal laptop or your work laptop if, I'm on my I'm on my PC. Oh, on your PC. Okay. Um. Hmm. Because I think I don't know. I think I don't think it's an internet thing. I think it's got to be a a processing thing. Because I know I'm I'm on. I was gonna say I'm on a really pretty old lap. It's a hand me down laptop. Um. Really no excuse. I didn't have much of a use for having a high quality computer until now. 
So I uh, should get on it, and I think I will. I, I'll try and get something better um, that can have the capacity to to do the to do both. But yeah, it, for now, um, we'll kind of we'll play that by ear. But within that clip specifically, um, you you did a good job of breaking it down. But the one thing I would say, or I would say that I saw as devil's advocate, was that he did have it looked like potentially two other options in Jay Crowder in the very corner mm-hmm. and, and Mikel Bridges up top. But I think you, you were saying there that he trusted himself to have this, that spacing once he got the defender on his hip and his back to pull that jumper. And, and that's what I love about Devin Booker is because he's built that trust with his teammates and with the fan base where we're okay with that shot. Cause he's proven that he can make it uh, more often than, than he doesn't. So I don't have a problem with that, that look at all. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, especially as he started to get deeper uh, towards the free throw line and the defense collapsed, that guy over on the other side of the free throw line started to leak in more towards him. So campaign was open and that top uh, on that top three point line over on the left side. But it depends on how you swing that ball, too. Right. If, if that ball gets over to campaign, how quick is that defender stepping out? Is it only taking him one step to get there to contest properly? But that can also start the transition, right? You swing it over to campaign, the defense leaks up. Maybe that guy down on the bottom who's on Jay Crowder thinks, oh, I got to step up because my guy is pressing in too much on Booker. So I got to uh, step up to help. And then campaign swings to Jay Crowder in the corner. So those are so many different looks that you can get from that and it's the same thing as Bismarck Biombo dives down you know pro- Devin Book is probably trying to see if he can dump within the lane but then you see um, Isaiah Stewart fall over to cover him and Mikhail Bridges is already blanketed by that one other guy in the corner who can basically step over to Bismarck Biombo as well so your only other option is to swing out or try and create space and take your shot there so I'll take mm-hmm. that any day of the week. Devin Booker is the one who's going to get us over the hump anyways. So tough shots like that. It's not as crazy as some of the things that we've seen from him, but just a little bit of separation can, you know, create a successful shot. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's why we pay him the big bucks. And he is the highest paid player on the team is because we have to rely on him to make those shots. And obviously the organ is like, I was going back, the organization trusts him to make those shots and take those shots. So I want to keep seeing that. I want to keep, see him keep growing. He's still a young guy. I think he's 25, 24, 25, 25 Um, years old, man, only so much more room for growth. I mean, I'm I'm 28, going to be 29 in a couple months, and I think I'm just now starting to hit the best best years of my game. And I'm hoping that in in the next couple of years I can only continue to grow, and, and we'll dive more into that. But I'd love to see that from Devin Booker so much, and I think it's 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 inevitable. He has the work ethic, he has the drive, and the fact that he's so comfortable and so confident already, man. The Suns are. If anyone had any doubts in what the Suns were doing, just got to be grateful that they at least were smart enough to sign Devin Booker long-term and keep him happy, keep him the face of the franchise. Cause once we get the technology caught up, once we get this all sorted out, the, the outlet point guard is going to be something where we probably see a lot of Devin Booker. We're going to do a lot of Suns plays. Uh, I think we're going to probably try and break down all levels. We may, might look at some college plays, some youth sports plays, but I don't want to scrap it all together. Cause I think there, there's some potential there. And um, oh, yeah. it really will will help us, you know, ex- expand and explain our perspective as as uh, you know basketball aficionados, um, if you will. 
so, <laughs> to use uh, some uh, big vocab tonight. But uh, rounding it out, do you think um, we got the the Reddit reacts on, on on tap and ready to go? Yeah, I'm ready to go. If you are, do, who, where mm-hmm. do you want to start with? Do you want to start with basketball? You want to start with Suns or NBA? I think we should go with just Suns because I think to let the cat out of the bag early, uh, there was some news breaking late this afternoon. We're recording this on August 8th, 2022. I'm not in the past today. It's 2022. Um, Kevin Durant is kind of doubling down on his trade request. Um, trade demand, as Adam Silver might put it. Um, and kind of said that it's they it's it's like the the disgruntled girlfriend. It's like it's it's me or the boys. And so he, Kevin Durant is saying it's me or um, Steve Nash and Sean Marks. So he's he's giving them an ultimatum, making them choose. And uh, I think even Mike has it pulled up here. The is that the um, owner? I believe. I think so. Joe Sai. Yeah, the owner is Joe Sai. I think he's the owner. He said our front, maybe majority owner. He said our front office and coaching staff have my support. We will make decisions in the best interest of the Brooklyn Nets. So doubling down, man. They're doubling down. And this is so this yeah, is what's hot right I, now. On the I'm just surprised that this is the way that he's going about it. If there's no way that it can really be just a big, he had big issues with Steve Nash. I mean. Why would that be the case? Is it a factor of he doesn't think that he's a good enough leader or he doesn't like his style? I mean, at the same time, Steve Nash is still trying to find his own footing as a coach. I mean, he's he did his little assistant uh, work with the Golden State Warriors, but that wasn't in a real assistant level, you know, being at the games, on the sideline, whatnot. That was just you know, practice work. So yeah. Steve Nash is still trying to figure out what kind of coach he's going to be. So I could understand where it'd be tough where KD has been in the league for so long and he probably can see the light at the end of the tunnel and he doesn't have that many more years left to really make a push. But who else are you going to bring in either than Steve Nash? So I, I think this was only a matter of time. Like we were saying that they went through the phases of trying to get yourself out of town, right? You first, you ask for a trade and then you say, okay, well, this is where I want to go. And weeks have gone by now since KD has come out and said, Phoenix is his number one priority or number one destination and deals couldn't get done. There weren't enough enticing offers on the table. And now the next step was basically to, I thought was going to be to say, okay, well, I'm not playing until you trade me. So he's taking it in a different direction where basically saying, okay, I'll be here, but you got to get rid of the coach, which I think is still a toxic environment to be in. At this point, Kevin Durant needs to get out of town and Brooklyn needs to figure out any type of way to get him out. And there's flat people That's waiting the RDJ on flex. Mean. I think his podcast is Coast to Coast Podcast. Uh, Flex uh, from Jersey, another kind of Suns insider guy who will call on to 98.7 after every Suns game, I think, and kind of give his tidbits on what he saw during the games. And he's really started to get more tapped in with the team and, um, you know, the higher ups and knows his stuff, it seems like. So, yeah, I'm waiting too. 
But <laughs> and then it looks like Burns and Gambo posted this one about KD soon. I'm telling what you, is- bro. That's what I was saying the last time. It's gonna happen. This is just a weird next step for him. I, if you're trying to get out of town, you don't put an ultimatum on the coach or not. You, mm-hmm. I just thought that you would say, "Hey, I'm not playing until you trade me." So and, you can waste your money if you want, or yeah. I won't get paid, but I'm not going to play. Like it's similar to what Ben Simmons did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and earlier today I was I was talking to my brother um, Matt. Uh, he's going to be joining us hopefully in the next roundtable. You'll be seeing him more and more. But um, we were talking and just you know pontificating or wondering is is KD really going to like pull this like poison pill if you will and just put put him in this tough position where basically saying I am not going to play for you. Like if you don't trade me, I'm just not going to show up. And that's almost when we first when you first started talking there, it almost reminded me of the Anthony Davis situation where in with New Orleans, where they never outright came out and said that Anthony Davis was refused to play. But they kind of hid behind his injuries, hid behind a bad season where they were like, oh, we're resting him, saving him, blah, 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 blah. And even with with the flex stuff. I saw someone point out that that was kind of the news coming out around the same time during the Anthony Davis saga where, oh, talks have broken down between the Pelicans and the Lakers. A deal's probably not going to happen. Both sides are too far apart. Anthony Davis is not going to go to the to the Lakers. And then two seconds later, you know, the trade happens. And I think we're already I think I think people know more than I'm so sorry. I'm going to, after this show, I'm going to get rid of all of my cats and they're not going to (laughs) be meowing and batting around toys in the background. And it's not going to be a problem. Um, Anyway, just getting back on track. You've seen, I don't know whether it's trolling or not. You've seen Mikkel Bridges posting crying emojis and kind of guys hinting here and there that they might be on their way out. Jay Crowder saying he's ready for a new change. So it leads me to believe that the sides are closer to a deal than we think. I think we're looking at Bridges and Jay Crowder getting out of here, a bunch of draft picks, some money. And I think a lot of the hangup is that the Suns don't want to get rid of Cam J and Bridges, but I think the Nets really want Cam J and Bridges. Deal's going to get done one way or another. It it seems like Kevin Durant is going to force his way. And he has that prowess because he is, he might be the best player in basketball right now. Might be. Um, I know a lot of people, Davey would disagree with me. I think he thinks Giannis is the best right now, but I honestly think Kevin Durant has a much broader skill set than Giannis does. And so within that, he's even said, I think on um, the old man in the three JJ Reddick's podcast, he said that he learned er- later on in his Oklahoma city career that he's not afraid to go to the front office. And he learned that he can dictate how a team is run because he is that caliber of player. And, and he knows it. You can call it arrogance if you will, but at the end of the day, he's right. You know what I'm saying? Do you agree with that? That Katie's right to one out? Not that he's right to one out, but that he's right that he can dictate um, his his future in the NBA and have more say in the front office than anyone else would. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's that high prolific of a athlete within the league and has the notoriety of a player that can probably do it. Similar to the way that LeBron James got his way out, you know. Well, no, I think LeBron signed with the Lakers. He, everywhere he went, he he was free agent. So, yeah. besides that. Um, yeah, I mean, the last thing you want to deal with is disgruntled players who, you know, 
obviously something went went wrong with KD and Kyrie because as soon as Kyrie said he's coming back, KD said, nope, okay, well, you didn't want to go, so I'm out. There's a lot of thing, different things that are at play here, but he's definitely one of those top five guys in the league where he can make enough of a stink that I feel like he can get to where he wants to go. It's How many times have we seen really, really high-profile players request to be traded to a specific place and it just ends up happening somehow miraculously mm-hmm. it's it's far and few between that it doesn't happen but now it's just who's gonna bite the bullet first right like you said the Suns don't want to give up cam johnson and mikhail bridges bridges you'd rather just give up one of those pieces because then you can still kind of keep that young core and not have to fill with random free agents that's the other problem with this you know what other pieces are going to have to be involved especially now that we're getting down towards the end of free agency i know there's been some exciting new developments i i guess you could say but it depends on how excited you're about it matt hit me up about how the pistons are going to buy out kemba i think that would be an option that the suns could look at at the backup point guard position Uh, He's getting up there, but it's also more firepower that you can give off the bench. I think I trust his consistency a little bit more than campaign at this point. Oh, yeah. But if you have to give up three or four guys in order to get one guy back in a Kevin Durant, who else are you going to fill in? Because everybody's gone now. Everybody has really filled out. I've heard things that, like, if Kevin Durant finds himself here, then maybe the Suns get LaMarcus Aldridge because LaMarcus wants to go with him. But there's just not enough true backup pieces, I feel, that would come into the fold if we have to mortgage the farm, which we don't want to. And that's more than likely why we haven't seen a deal get done. The Suns are Mm -hmm. holding on for dear life to try and find any way that they can keep Mikhail Bridges. And I would do the exact same thing too because – you have going to. back to go. You, I don't. I don't know if you have to. I. He's such a he, defensive anchor. Obviously, that's what I'm I'd saying. Yeah. To, but if you're going after Kevin Durant, it's win now mode. Anyways, it's not win in two, three years. It's you got to win right now because Chris Paul's 37 and he's, you know, his limitations with his injuries are showing at this point. So, I like they're just trying everything in their in their might to hold the line. And it might work out a little bit more in the Suns' favor, especially as more things like this start to happen. He's mm-hmm. asking, hey, you trade Steve Nash or get me the hell out of here. And so the owner already came out and said, we're not trade, we're not uh, firing anybody. So that's just one more point for us, I guess. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think I just wanted to clarify there. I don't think you ha- – I'm not saying you have to keep Mikel Bridges. You have to try and keep Mikel Bridges. And it's been, and that's been a big point in the free agency is we're looking for a wing that can shoot, which we already have in Cam Johnson. And Davey made a great point when we had our last heat check podcast live is that you, you can't expect Cam Johnson to grow anymore uh, because he's already an older player. And that's why we drafted him. We've even talked about that in the past on the, on, on those other podcasts is that's why we brought him in is because he was an older player older player with that experience and that pedigree. But in any case, getting back to the point, I think James, James Jones hasn't given us any reason to not trust him. 
And I think he is, it's, it's understandable for him to play hardball. No games are being played yet. The rosters aren't finalized as far as I know. And there's still time for all this to go, go down. And so every little piece, every little block, um, it, it becomes a little bit more likely that the, that a deal gets done, especially when you hear these stories of Kevin Durant doubling down, saying that it's it's him or me, the ultimatum, and the owner saying, "Well, it's them." It's that's him saying, "Well, I'm choosing a side," right? Right. So they might have to they might have to cut their losses at the end of the day, and, and there's a broader discussion that we might have at another time of if that's fair, if these players should be held to their contracts, um, you know what they sign. Now there's an, a player argument for you know they could be sold a false bill of goods they could be have all the smoke blown up their ass about the vision for the team and then not deliver uh, especially when you consider uh, an, a brand new coach like Steve Nash he didn't have any coaching experience going into this gig as far as I know um, and and Sean Marks and so I I can see it both ways I see the player perspective I see the organization's perspective and and like I said that's a much broader broader conversation that could be had but i'm really excited mike to dive into all of these topics and everything that we've been kind of introducing here in this this episode um this is past the outlet this is our very first episode earlier on we heard a little bit about mike's journey the broad conversation was a lot about about michael benjamin and in episode two you'll learn a bit about me Chris Patrick and uh, and my journey, uh, not as sexy as Mike's, but uh, but uh, I think I'll have some uh, tidbits in there nonetheless. Um, I just wanted to give you the floor, Mike, before we before we sign off. Do you want to? Uh, do you want to? Just in wrapping this up, I want to want to kind of set the precedent or set the expectation for what this podcast is going to be, what to expect in the future, and what we hope to accomplish with Pass the Outlet. Absolutely, I mean our love for basketball. I would say is almost unmatched. It's something that is an absolute passion of mine. Uh, it is now and forever. I promise you that no matter how frustrated I can get at our, at my favorite team or on the floor when I'm playing, it's just something that's a part of me. And I know is a part of you, Chris, and there's just so many different facets to talk about, which is, you know, for the heat check podcast, where we will talk about different outlets for all of our Arizona sports teams from the Diamondbacks to the Cardinals to the Suns to the Coyotes and more centralized with what's going on with Valley Sports. We wanted to bring past the outlet to really dive into the culture of basketball, whether that be our own experiences in life through playing the game, you know, our coaching experiences, the different type of people and characters we've met along the way um you know our experiences with the phoenix suns going to games being on the floor working for them you know youth sports culture and that's going to be an awesome i think this is a great outlet for that as well because we want to get you guys involved for those who love the game and are passionate the same way that uh, that we are and bring you into the conversation. We're going to have, you know, people from some of our leading youth sports organizations join us and talk about the culture of youth sports and what's going on in the not nonprofit world. We'll talk to some people who are still involved with the Suns organization and all the awesome things that are going on uh, with the team. 
you know, we'll talk to some of our friends who come to runs with us and talk about their perspective and other people, you know, who are more uh, focused within college sports because we don't know everything, but we know a lot of people who do have great knowledge and we want to bring it to you guys. So once again, this is Past the Outlet podcast, a Valley Sports Plug production. Make sure you follow us on Facebook. Twitter and Instagram at AZ underscore VSP to join the conversation. You can stream all of our podcasts on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you listen. And please don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on our YouTube page at Valley Sports Plug. Chris, I thought this was a great start. Obviously, we're still new into this game. We're getting our feet a little bit wetter every single time. Um, you know, technical difficulties are just a part of the game, but overcoming it is what it's all about. And I think we did that today. So I appreciate you, man. And I'll let you 100%. send us off. Well, thank you so much, Mike. I think uh, you said it better than I could have. And so I think that's a great spot for us to head out on. I'm just really excited. Um, you came up, like I said, all credit to Mike Benjamin coming up with this idea past the outlet. I'm so excited. We're going to talk so much about basketball. Uh, Mike and I were there through the dog days of the Suns, from the heights of the Nash era to the lows of the Bledsoe era to back in the heights of the Booker era. Uh, we're, we're ready to talk about all of that, all things Suns, all things youth sports, all things adult league basketball, really anything that comes up that's basketball related. I'm sure Mike's going to talk about some shoes, some shoe releases, and you guys make sure to give us those ideas down in the comments. Anything you want to hear about that's basketball related. Uh, we want to bring it to you and, and share it with you. And um, again, just one more time, just real excited. So we're going to sign off now. This is Past the Outlet. I'm Chris Patrick from Michael Benjamin. We'll see you next time. Peace.